Welcome to Decoding Superhuman. This show is a deep dive into obsessions with health, performance, and how to elevate the human experience. I explore the latest tools, science, and technology with experts in various fields of human optimization. This is your host, Boomer Anderson. Enjoy the journey. Today on the podcast, we're joined by Josh Trent. For those of you who do not know Josh, you may have heard of his media company called Wellness Force, which is now being rebranded as Wellness Wisdom. And today on the show, we get really, really deep. In fact, it's really cool how open Josh is about his past life experiences. We talk about plant medicine and how that's helped him go deep into the scars of the past and some of the programming he had growing up. We talked about how that's helped him with his relationships, uh, both with his partner and developing as now a father. And we get into breath work, of course, as well as the future of wellness wisdom. The show notes for this one are at decodingsuperhuman.com slash Josh. And enjoy my conversation with Josh Trent. Mr. Trent, it's been a long time coming. Welcome to the show. Boomer, thanks for having me. It has been a long time coming. Well, you know, you're a man who's who's had a lot going on recently. You've moved to Austin, Texas. You've had a baby. Uh, You've kind of switched. I mean, I wouldn't say you switched gears, but you've had a lot layered on lately. But I want to take us back here because, you know, you got into the health world a while back. And I always am curious why people come into this space. What made you come into the health industry? The health industry entry point was birthed from my own pain, from my own contrast. I had uh, a pretty challenging, I guess you could say, birth slash growth experience when I came into the world. And I think that's the case for many of us. But my story to talk about my mirror which is a mirror of probably hundreds of millions of people in the world. Uh, I was born to parents that did the best they could. And there was just certain gaps, right? Physical and emotional gaps that weren't filled. So without the right intelligence, both physically and emotionally, fast forward, I'm like 20, 21 years old. And I'm at a party drinking and I'm like 280 pounds at the time. And just hated my body and hated my relationship, hated my job. Just nothing was working. I mean, it was just like, all the alarm bells were going on. And I will never forget, man, I, I slammed the cup down boomer. And I was like, I can't do this anymore. There's got to be more to life than this. And it was the first time I had really had a connection with some type of a higher power. You know, some people call it God. And I ran home drunk. I ran home drunk for like three miles. And I opened my computer at the time. And I think I typed in like, how do I be healthy? And that led me on this 18-month journey of like losing weight, gaining weight. And then I got so frustrated, I just sold everything I owned and I moved to Hawaii. And in Hawaii, at the age of 25, I found the ocean and I found surfing and I found nature and I found peace and I found stillness. And then I lost weight. Wouldn't you know it? Because I was doing all the things that we were designed to do to be healthy. 
And I got to this place where I really didn't know what I was going to do for a new career because I'd saved up all my money and I had quit my old job. I was a Mercedes Benz technician. And I got to this place where I was working out at a gym one day, 24 hour fitness, and the fitness manager came up to me and he was like, Hey, I've seen you lose weight. You did a great job. Have you ever thought about being a trainer? And I was like, What's a trainer? I didn't know anything about personal training. I didn't even know what it was. And that was a 10 year career for me. And then I, when I left training, after about 10 years, um, I went back to corporate America because I wanted safety. I wanted to feel safe. I'm doing bunny ears for everybody listening. And through a lot of dark nights of the soul, I actually got fired, which was a beautiful gift. And when I got fired, it put my back against the wall and it forced me to either decide to live someone else's life or decide to live mine. And that was the big turning point that created the podcast and which is actually shifting and changing again. And then what brought me here to you? <laughs> so it's a very large nutshell, but that's the nutshell. Wow. That's uh, fascinating on many levels. So I want to unpack a little bit of this because, uh, you know, somebody who is in their 20s in Hawaii, now you're in Austin, Texas. There's a few stops along the way. Uh, why not just stay in fucking Hawaii, man? Like you, you went from 280 pounds to, I'm guessing you're, you're sub 200 now, um, just eyeing here. So I may be a little off, but why not just stay in this sort of semi-enlightened state? Well, because really you can only have any kind of peace or even the road to enlightenment can be paved through experiential learning. Mm-hmm. That there's no way in life that, and this is no insult to anyone who's in their 20s or even their mid 30s, but I feel like we can only really learn by walking the path, by being on the path, by having the experience of taking the steps. And when you're 25, you just don't have it. You don't have it like you do when you're in your 30s or in your 40s. Obviously, you can have wisdom, you can have intelligence, you can be very successful at these ages. But where I was is I was just cutting my teeth in what wisdom really was. And so in order for me to continue this path toward enlightenment, which I don't know if we ever reached that. Yeah, I'm just throwing out that. I think I used that word a little bit coy there, but I think that's... uh, (laughs) But I got what you mean. Yeah. I got what you mean. And, And so in Hawaii, there's this beautiful energy, but at the time, and even more now, um, being a white person in Hawaii was different. There's a term called haole, and it's the white people with splotches on their skin, right? That's the haole because they get sunburned so much. And at the time, that was very, very, very challenging to uh, find work. And I didn't want to be a trainer in the fitness industry in Hawaii. It just wasn't it didn't feel like it was the right place to be. So on a subtle level, I knew from maybe my soul's voice that it was time to go back to the mainland. And of course, in the mainland, that's where I really learned how to work with people. You know, that's where I cut my teeth, training people from all walks of life. Um, I actually, one part of my story is that I lived in Las Vegas for about a year. And when I lived in Vegas, I was training strippers. I was training alcoholics. I mean, I was training all kinds of people. And then when I moved back to San Diego, I was working in La Jolla, which is a very affluent area in San Diego. So I've worked with so many different types of people. And it was through that terrain, through that experience that allowed me to really see what I was doing. And that was, I was shining light on other people. And I was doing a great job of helping other people. 
But what happens to all of us boomers when we shine light on other people and all we're doing is focused on shining for others, shining for others, the dark parts of ourselves stay dark. Mm-hmm. And this happens a lot with yoga instructors and fitness trainers and really anyone in the coaching or, or health industry. And that is, as long as I'm serving others, I'm doing great. Well, that's true. That's one part of, of being embodied. But the other part of being embodied is looking at what your body is carrying, looking at what you are not looking at, essentially. Mm-hmm. And for me, it was a lot of traumas, a lot of past baggage, and a lot of things that uh, needed peace, a lot of things that needed attention. So that's what birthed the road to wellness for us. And that's why I couldn't just stay in Hawaii. Although I would love to go back to Hawaii. We'll see. We'll see what goes on with this craziness in the world. Yeah, uh, with the vax passports and the forest mandates and all this stuff. Yeah, there's a lot of craziness right now. Um, yes, there is. I want to, and this is kind of going to be, I don't know if you remember Goosebumps growing up where you had to choose the page you go to next, but I want you to kind of take us along a path here, which is uh, wellness force and then uh, dealing with trauma. Which came first, or as is the case with my podcasts, like I kind of use that as sort of a medium to unpack some of the things I was going through, which for you came first? I would say the the trauma came first. Mm -hmm. And also in founding the podcast and in hosting the podcast, more trauma happened. I don't think I actually, I actually don't think that to be a human is to have a life free of trauma. I don't think that's possible. And and I'll be very I think so too. I'll be very clear too. Trauma is like, you can have capital T trauma. You can have lowercase T trauma. So you can have the big T's that a lot of people know about, which is physical, emotional, sexual abuse. And then you can also have the lowercase T trauma, which is a parent being jealous of a child, a parent neglecting a child, a parent not knowing how to parent a child and traumatizing a child. And then the world itself, Boomer, can be a traumatizing place. You know, I was bullied a lot when I was in school. And that goes for any kid that is different than the perfect picture. So I was fairly unhealthy, fairly overweight when I was a kid. And I got bullied. And so there was the trauma of that. There was the trauma of like not having my dad around to help me process the trauma or to to help me be a man. And then there was also living with a mom with mental health issues, which that is a trauma of itself. So I received a lot of trauma and and the beauty in this, and I'm not going to bypass this, the beauty in the trauma that I experience and that we all experience is that the deeper you are cut, the deeper you can serve. And I've never really said that on a podcast before, and I've never even thought that till right now. When I'm cut deeply and I have the wisdom to heal, then I'm not projecting any of my wounds on anyone else. In other words, my wounds don't cloud my wisdom. So, but wisdom can only be attained through challenge, through solving problems. Otherwise, we would all just be born wise and we wouldn't need to learn anything. So I would say that it's a continuum. And even with Wellness Force now, you know, we're shifting the name of the show because when I started, it was about force. And as you know, power versus force, force can be a tornado, force can be a, a stallion. But force can't always be trusted. Mm-hmm. Power can always be trusted because power comes from peace, true power. And so we're changing the name to Wellness Wisdom with Josh Trent instead of Wellness Force because Wellness Force was about me not living someone else's life and me moving forward. And at the time, it served me. But I had the wisdom to know now that 
that the way I was in the past no longer serves me because I'm a different human. I've literally, I guess, as you would say, I've, I've been decoding my superhuman, you know, inside. And I've been really understanding, well, what, what are the codes that I got from mom and dad from society that don't serve me? And then how do I be this incredible human being for my son, for my partner, for my business? Uh, I'm always looking at my codes, always looking at my codes. So I want to go into some of those codes to the extent you're willing to, to walk through the quote unquote valley of the shadow of death, right? With me. Um, and because it's something I've recently, uh, not recently, over the past couple of years started to unpack myself, a lot of these sort of social cultural programs. Um, but you mentioned something there and I'm going to try and take you there if you're willing to go the deep cut. And if you're willing to heal from that place of that deep cut, what is, or what was that deep cut for you? I mean, multiple deep cuts, right? Multiple deep cuts. So the first would be uh, relationships that were offering me wisdom that I was hurt by that at the time I thought were my fault, or I thought the world just had it out for me that I wasn't supposed to be in relationships and the deep cuts that come in my life, like all of ours, but for me specifically was relationships ending like relationships where I would be with a woman for a few years and then it would end. And then I would be with a woman for a few years and then it would end. And I got to this point where I started to just protect my heart because things weren't working out. And it wasn't until I found really breath work specifically via plant medicine that I was able to go to a place inside of me from a cellular, from a somatic level that allowed me to see what was really going on. And what was really going on was I did not know, first of all, how to forgive myself. I did not know how to forgive other people. And I was carrying all this resentment and the lack of forgiveness that was really coming out sideways in pornography addiction, in drug use, in alcohol use, in shopping, in any fill, fill in the blank. I mean, we all find ways to get out of our body when the body doesn't feel safe. And so for me, it was relationships. It was um, forgiveness around my father, forgiveness around my mother, forgiveness around past women that I had been with. And really the biggest, most potent journey, forgiveness of myself, forgiveness of myself for a lot of things that I've done that, you know, I'm not proud of. And I also have compassion for myself because of the choices I made at that time. They were the best I could do. And a lot of this stuff that I'm sharing with you is easy to intellectualize. It's really easy for me to be here with you on the show and say, we must forgive. You know, we have to look at ourselves and, you know, just, just forgive, Boomer, just forgive. It's almost a, a placated platitude that, that we see in the world where it's like, well, love is all there is and just forgive yourself and just love others, love thy neighbor as thyself. But to actually embody these things, and I, and I cover this a lot in my work and with people that I work with, it's this arc of intelligence that allows us to get cut and then heal. And when we get cut, the deepest cuts offer the most potent wisdom, but the deepest cuts you have to have courage to heal those and courage can only be cultivated by you doing hard things, facing your fears, doing the real work to build that courage for yourself. Then your brain, your soul, your heart, your ego, they all connect and they go, okay, we are worthy. We can heal. 
we can bounce back from things that happen to us. And actually, they haven't happened to us. They happened for me. And it's not a way of bypassing. It's, it's a way of saying, you know what? When the relationship didn't work, when my parent hit me or when my you know, spouse didn't, when my spouse left me, whatever it is for me or you or any of us, it's a way of reclaiming our power when we reframe our words. Because if I can reclaim my power by saying, you know what? It happened for me. Fuck that. It happened for me. Because if I believe the other way that life is happening to me and, oh my God, my, my parents did this and my person left me and like that serves us for a time because anger is more powerful than despair. But once I get past anger and I start growing into courage, well, once I pass courage, I have to reframe how I'm explaining things to myself and to others. Because if I'm not, it's more than just a disservice. It's a disempowerment. It's how I stay stuck. It's how we stay stuck as people. We don't forgive. We make it other people's problems. And quite frankly, it could have been their fault. It really could have been. A lot of things that have happened to all of us happened for us because somebody hurt us. Somebody cut us real deep, or even we cut ourselves. And so to round it out here, like when I have the courage to really turn to myself, to turn to the ways that I've acted towards, towards others, to turn to the things that have hurt me the absolute most and do the integrative work to make peace with that, that's when you can really have an amazing life. But until that happens, there's really no healing because there's no courage that's been built. And courage only, courage is really the fuel to heal. Wow. Okay. I'm going to ask you to get tactical here because I think there's people that are are hearing this and everybody, as you mentioned earlier, has some sort of trauma. But when we go really, really deep, it could be fucking frightening, right? Uh, You're confronting something that you've hidden in your past and sometimes you don't even know you had to deal with. And whether it's plant medicine or something else brings it up. Uh, Take us through, if you're willing to share, like a specific example and how you kind of work through it. Like, did you bring in a coach? Was it, you know, was it plant medicine? Was it, I mean, you mentioned breath work as well. Sure. How did you kind of break that down and get out of it? So the, the most powerful thing I could offer in this moment is the truth. And the truth may not be easy for people to hear. In my development of self and in my courage building process, I found plant medicine, which is, you know, ayahuasca and psilocybin specifically, which they then led to breath work, which I know we were going to touch on today. And I really believe that the breath is the anchor for all of us. I don't think plant medicine is for everyone. So what I'm about to share comes with a caveat that it's my story. It's not yours. You get to create your own and you get to have the safety and the precautions in place to, to use entheogens and psychedelics in a very, very mindful way. So in 2014, I began this journey and I started to get deep introspection. And in 2018, I actually went down to Costa Rica, did four ceremonies in a row, which was very potent. Went back again in 2019, did four more ceremonies. But on the fourth night of the last ceremony, which was actually my, my death and I was my number 12 ceremony. It was my 12th ceremony total that I had done with ayahuasca. And it took me to a place. It was this medicine called Yahe because I was going there because I was struggling. I was struggling with not being safe in my body. 
all the ways that I had trained people in the past and all the personal development work. And even, you know, at that point, a couple hundred podcast episodes, it wasn't really healing me. It wasn't really giving me the peace inside. And the peace inside was being devoured by a ghost. And the ghost name was addiction. It was an addiction to internet porn, to watching pornography. And also, I think I probably had maybe an undiagnosed sex addiction, which I think a lot of men have, and they just don't want to own it. You know, a good way to tune into that is just to see if, if you go a while without sex, can you still be at peace? And if not, then you probably have an addiction. So I, I got my ass kicked so hard in this ceremony, Boomer, that I had a psychic break. I had a psychic shattering and it brought me to my knees. I mean, I came back home. I couldn't concentrate. I, I was having thoughts that were just incredibly challenging. I mean, the darkest night of the soul that I would wish on no one. Uh, I thought I was losing my mind. I actually thought I was going crazy. And they were very dark, like sexual thoughts, super dark. And it got to the point where I was so scared. I was actually concerned for my well-being that, first of all, I knew I would never do ayahuasca again. I knew that I had gotten my eternal slap because a lot of the healing that I received was around uh, sex. It was around abusive sex, which is a very sacred, if not the most sacred energy in the world. And I went to a healer. His name is Paul Check. He's a mentor of mine. He's a friend yeah. of mine in San Diego. And he, and he helped me clear this entity. I had an entity that I had absorbed from someone else. That's another thing is I was in a ceremony space that had 70 people in it, which is terrible. I did not know that that wasn't. You can absorb a lot in that kind of a space. You can absorb a lot. You can absorb a lot. And that, that center, which I'm, you know, I don't name them because they have a very powerful legal team, but I think everybody knows that knows anything about me or does a quick search online. Uh, any center that has 70 people sit, um, in my opinion, is interested in money, not in healing. So anyways, long story short, very long story short, it took me two years to do the deepest work. I felt like I was a monk. I mean, every day of my life, I was either uh, healing with my, my woman, my partner, Carrie, or I was doing work on myself. And this all happened when we came together. I mean, we came together, I met her, and then this break happened. I mean, it was profound. It was surreal, the, the timing of everything. So I'm grateful for the psychic break. I'm grateful for the trauma. I'm grateful for the cut. I'm grateful for the wound because it gave me the courage to understand exactly why I was watching porn in the first place or why I was going to uh, women in an unconscious way sexually in the first place. And that was, I didn't feel loved. I didn't love myself. I didn't understand what loving yourself actually was because it was never modeled to me and it's never modeled to any of us. And when I didn't love myself, I was constantly seeking that uh, deep breath of love, that peacefulness of love from a screen, from a woman, from a substance, whatever. And I think to be human is to have certain needs that must be met, but <laughs> To be, uh, to be, as you call it, like a superhuman, if you really want to be superhuman, you have to be willing to, to walk this road of self-love. And on the road of self-love, first of all, you, you have to accept that you may not even have it. You don't even know where to go, but you have to be able to follow breadcrumbs. And I believe, and I'm open to this changing, but I believe that anyone on the path of true self-love, where they really love themselves, 
and, and it's something that you feel from them, they're going to receive massive wounding on that path. It's part of the path. It's part of the path of being superhuman. You, you get wounded so that you grow courage to heal. And many people don't heal. And that's okay too, because sometimes the cut is real deep. And so it comes down to us if we want to choose to heal or not. So that was the biggest, I, I would say probably the biggest wound I've ever had in my life, actually. Yes. Um, I've never thought about it in that frame. So it's a great question because I've never really sat and thought, what's the most deepest cut I've ever had in my life? That was it. I mean, when you lose your mind, literally when your mind is shattered and the Native Americans call it soul loss, when you have that experience happen for you, you, you cannot bypass the, the wisdom that needs to be allocated. You cannot just sprint to the solution and say, oh, well, it happened for me. You can't do that. You actually have to go through the trenches of learning what it really is to love yourself. And by the way, I think that's a lifelong journey. Yeah. I think that when we peel one layer of self-love, there's another, and then there's another. And I think to the degree I love myself, that's the degree I have peace. And then power comes from peace. And then wisdom comes from that. Wow. Uh, the analogy that I always go to here is like the unpeeling the layer of the onion and just the continued journey, right? Um, well, you know what happens when you peel an onion, Boomer? You're going to cry. <laughs> <laughs> that's uh, that's it's very, very true. <laughs> um, You're going to cry, man. Yeah. Peel an onion. And so I guess you touched on something there that I think is very important, especially in this world that we live in where um, psychedelics is becoming more and more popular. Plant medicine and theogen, choose your term, is becoming more popular, right? And as you rightly disclose, it's not for everybody. But um, what do you think, uh, I, I guess, what do you think would have been better about that last ceremony you went through. Um, if you were to structure the ceremony, what would you, and to the extent that you use plant medicine still, like what do you look for? Because I imagine like room of 70 people, you're automatically like, thanks, but no thanks. Um, but things like integration didn't seem to be considered there. Uh, what, what do you look for now? What I look for now in any type of ceremony and it doesn't have to be purely psychedelics this is a framework that you can apply to any type of ceremony it could be a breath work ceremony it could be a cacao ceremony mm -hmm. it could be a vipassana meditation it could be plant medicine of any kind right whether it's ayahuasca or dmt or san pedro all these things the very first thing is the come from the come from is number one because the, the integration and the work that's needed after ceremony is very powerful, but it's not even as powerful as this. The come from of how I go into a ceremony is the most important thing. Here's the come from. If I'm being pulled to a ceremony, that's how you know that it's a good come from. If I'm pushing myself to go, if I'm being pushed or forced to go to a ceremony, either from my ego or from a friend or from comparing myself to the healing that others have had, therefore I should do what others have done. That's the wrong come from, and you're asking for, you're asking for trouble. <laughs> you're asking for, for a lot of drama there. So get clear within yourself. If, if you're a high achiever, if you're a high performer, if you're on this path of, of like really embodying what it is to be superhuman, to be like the best human being you can be, 
the very first place you have to start is what is my come from? Do I feel pushed or do I feel pulled? You'll know you'll feel pulled when there's a curiosity. You're pulled when there's something curious pulling you because you wonder what might happen. And you wonder intuitively that if you follow this breadcrumb and you go with your intuition, that you may receive some healing or you may receive some information that'll really help you. But when you push yourself and you say, if I don't do this ceremony, I'm going to kill myself. If I don't do this ceremony, I'm going to die. If I don't, that's the wrong thing. That's the wrong come from. So that's the first. The second is when you go into the space, make sure that you've had conversations with the shaman or with the person leading it. And you actually on a somatic level, trust them. If you get red flags in your stomach, your throat, or your solar plexus, and those red flags are telling you not to do it, don't do it. Don't do it. Now, notice I didn't say the mind, because it's really easy for the ego and the mind to say, ah, it's too, it's not safe, it's this, it's that. You'll feel in your body through somatic training. A really good resource for that is Mark Wolin's work. Uh, it didn't start with you. It's a tremendous resource. Also, Bessel van der Kolk's work. Um, the body keeps the score or anything Gabor Mate talks about. So, so when you go into the ceremony, speak to the person. Secondly, make sure that there's no one in that circle that is potentially giving you the same feelings of somatic red flags going off. Because it's very important that the ceremony space is small too. You don't want to do ceremony with more than like 10 or 20 people. It's just, it's just not possible to contain the energy in that way. And then lastly, the most important thing is when you get to the end of the ceremony and when there's time for integration, that you really work with someone who's skilled and experienced at unpacking the wisdom that you received in a ceremony. So those, those compartments, those three compartments that we described, they're the most important thing. Because I'll share this one thing that has been said by, I think, a couple other people, but I heard Jordan Peterson say it. He said, when you go into these ceremonies and when you go into the four and five D, be careful of unearned wisdom. Be careful of unearned wisdom because you may get wisdom that you're not ready for. And when you're not ready for wisdom, it could crack your psyche. It's, um, I, I, nobody on this show has ever really laid it out like that before. So I wanted to thank you for that. And I know myself personally, I've only really done these experiences in the context of maybe max five people. And somebody, and somebody that I've, I've trusted for a very long time. Uh, but again, yeah. I've, I've only been delving into the plant medicine psychedelic world for the past couple of years. So it's a relatively new experience for me. But thank you um, for laying out that framework so that others can, can go down that path. Now, I want to come back to that moment where... You went back to corporate America. You tried your hand there. Things were probably going well. And then, you know, shit happens. We get laid off, et cetera. Backs against the wall. You come out firing. Why the fuck did you choose to go down the podcast route? Because it had been something that was gnawing away at my soul for years. And I knew I wanted to do it extremely badly, more than almost anything else. But I didn't believe in myself. And this goes back to the self-love. I didn't believe in myself enough to pull the trigger and do it. Because look, as you know, being an entrepreneur is incredibly tumultuous. It is very volatile. It comes with a lot of ups and downs. 
And if you don't know that, all you do is you see that story from other entrepreneurs. So all of my entrepreneur friends, they were telling me, okay, one month I'm good. The next month I'm literally selling things, you know, to make payroll. And I'm like, do I trust myself enough to go through that? Because it's not for everyone. Being an entrepreneur is not sexy. It's it's not something to be like, I I do think it's something to be celebrated. I do, but I don't think it's something to be um, put on a pedestal or to be sexualized or glamorized. I'm glad you said that because there's a lot that goes on because we all read headlines, right? Like, you know, Zuckerberg's what younger than me, maybe I actually don't know. Um, And, you know, worth gazillions of dollars, but there's a lot that's not talked about like the selling of stuff online so that you can just make payroll. Right. And so, yes, I completely agree with that. And sorry, I interrupted you there. No, it's great. It's a good point to make. And it goes for everyone that's, that's, out there in the world who is working on your dream, your dream does not have to mean that you have your own business. I want to really be clear about that because everybody wants to be an entrepreneur. There is a price to be paid for being an entrepreneur, just like there's a price to be paid for being an employee too. But don't let the label dictate the path of your dream. Don't let a label dictate that path. So anyways, um, for me, when I had been a trainer for so long, I, the past four years of being a trainer, I, I was an entrepreneur. I had my own business. I worked out of a studio, I paid rent, and I trained clients. And once I started doing that, I was like, wow, I, I don't know if I could ever go back to working for someone again. But um, in 2011, I had this incredibly powerful dark night of the soul where I ended up leaving San Diego. I moved to Mammoth Lakes. I didn't know what I was wanting to do with my life, but I knew it wasn't training, you know? And I, I came back to San Diego and I've just floundered around for about a year. And I was like, I don't know what I want to do. Actually, I did. I, looking back, I did know what I wanted to do. I wanted to step out into the world and lead conversations that had merit, that had value, that would help people. But I was needing this time to flounder, almost like a, a caterpillar and a chrysalis, you know, before it becomes the butterfly. I needed to squirm and wiggle and liquefy and go through all this crap so that I would have something to share so that I would actually have something to share with the people. And so I had to go through that. And so when I went back to corporate America, it's because I quote needed money, you know, I needed money. I needed to, I needed to have like food and rent and I needed to take care of practical things. But there wasn't a day that that went by where I didn't have a moment where when I closed my eyes, my soul would tell me, you're in the wrong space. You're in the wrong place. Get out of here. Get out of here. Like, that's what I would always hear. And when I got fired in late um, 2014, when I got fired, it was the most beautiful gift because it was sheer terror where I didn't know where my money was going to come from. And it was also massive liberation where I didn't care anymore because right around that time, I broke up with a woman I thought I was going to be with. I put my mom in a mental home. And I got fired from that corporate job. I mean, it was all Shit. in the span of like six months. It was like, it was like, boom, boom, boom. Wow. And it was nasty. <laughs> it was nasty. I can laugh at it now, but at the time, I mean, it was, it was the worst. Yeah. But, but honestly, the psychic break was the worst. This was actually the second worst. So in this space, I made a pact with God. I, I, I had been angry at God for a long time. I kneeled down on the golf course 
in the middle of the night, like two in the morning, I was renting a little spare bedroom because I had just gotten fired from a, from a buddy of mine. And I started the podcast from that space, just got fired, just broke up, living in a spare bedroom at a friend's house, interviewing somebody like interviewing Dr. John Gray on a rickety plastic laptop with a crummy mic in 2015. And I just made a pact with God that night and I was crying and I said, I don't know exactly how this is going to go, but if you want me to lead a life where I'm working for someone else and I'm, I'm fueling someone else's dream, then just kill me because I don't want to, I don't want to be here anymore. So I just said, I'm, I'm willing to die. And if you, if you want me to go that other path, that's not what I want. So show me the way, you know, show me the way forward, whatever that way is. And, and that's, that's what led us to here you know, seven years later in 2022. Um, and of course that path hasn't been free of rocks either, but at least it's a path that my soul feels good about that. I at least know I'm moving in the right direction for. You mentioned the rocks and I, I, I do like kind of going behind the kimono a little bit with people like yourself, because from the outside, like, Hey, but your brand's done fantastic. You're doing well. You know, you have a, a, a great family, a reasonably free life, right? Um, but there's, there's shit that goes into that that I don't think people understand. Can you take us through some of like the key steps for you and kind of growing what was called Wellness Force um, to where it is today? Like what were the key steps and yeah. take us through some of those rocks and how you navigated them? In the beginning, you must follow your hunger. You must follow anything at all that you can devour, whether it's 25 podcast interviews a month, whether it's writing a blog post every day. I mean, literally whatever you can do to cut your teeth, to start grooving what it is that you are and what you're representing, you have to do that. You have to do that, I would say, for maybe a year or two. You literally have to go through, not the motions, but you have to go through the act of creating to figure out what type of creation feels good for you. There is no shortcut. There is no Willy Wonka golden ticket. The path is very straight and very narrow. And when you get pulled off that path by shiny squirrel syndrome, shiny object syndrome, uh, it's, it's actually going to take you longer. The path will, will be a lot longer if you try to skip that first part and that is create every day. And through your act of creation, you will learn what resonates with you the most as a creator. And then you'll get to a point where your creation won't be so hard anymore. It won't be so, it won't feel like a grind all the time. Of course, it will feel like grinds sometimes because that's the nature of, of growth, right? Growth is supposed to be uncomfortable sometimes. Otherwise, it wouldn't be growth. You would just levitate on the cloud with, with angels. So in the beginning for the first two years, that's what I did. And it wasn't until I met with a, a coach where I hired a coach and he asked me a big question. He's like, what are you most afraid to share? And I was like, oh, I'm leading this wellness podcast and my life is not well. That's what I'm most afraid to share. And he's like, well, share that. Share that because that's more believable. That's more trustable. That'll get you to a place where you will have everything you've ever wanted because you're sharing with the people about the things that you're most afraid to share, which is exactly what they're feeling too. And that was it. That was the turning point where things started to really take off after that because I was actually sharing 
what was bothering me, what was stressing me, what was concerning me the most. And then in that place, once I had a, a more experience under my belt, then I started getting bigger names on the show. And I started having somewhat small fragmented relationships with those guests. And slowly but surely, those little fragmented relationships became better relationships. And then they became better friends. And it was from those people that I was seeking wisdom from anyways. And so when I got to the place where, um, you know, I guess you could say maybe it was a couple of years ago where the audience was big enough to support itself and the sponsors were paying for the show and we had our affiliates that were doing well, I have literally not stopped. And, you know, it has, it has taken a toll as well because the process of self-love that I talked about before, it continues to unfold for me now. So I might interview like some of the most amazing people in the world and, and I'm right there with them. Like I'm holding the conversation. It's going great. There's value. There's vulnerability. It's, it's beautiful. But voices sometimes pop up for me that say like, oh, you, you should have done better. You should have asked this question. You should have written this copy. You should have done that. And that should monster. I don't know if it ever goes away. So I think if we looked at, if we, if we go 30,000 feet above how, how I grew the podcast and how I am an entrepreneur, I actually would offer myself more patience and, and ask myself to go slower. But I think, Boomer, I think myself would turn to me and say, are you sure? Because the paradox of this is we all want to go slower and we all want to be at more peace and we all want to have you know, an entrepreneurial life or freedom in some way, maybe just freedom. Not everybody wants to be an entrepreneur. You have to be willing to pay the price for that and the price that's paid for um, cutting your own path in a jungle, making your own money, being your own boss that comes with an incredible amount of responsibility. And that responsibility is something that uh, will bring out all of your shit. Because just like in a vice, when you apply pressure to something, the insides will leak out at their weakest point. So entrepreneur, entrepreneurism is a vice that compresses people. And then of course you stack onto that being a parent, being a partner, <laughs> that's more pressure on the vice. So it's a beautiful thing because it's showing me or it shows us where we need attention. Wherever the center of me is leaking out when, when pressure is applied, well, that's the point where I need to look at. And then I also have to be honest with myself and say, is that too much pressure? Can I actually say no and take off some of that pressure as well? Um, that's the journey, right? The knowledge of those two things. Amazing. Um, thank you for sharing that. I, I know sometimes... Um, Oh shit, you just read any mainstream media article right now. It's all glitz glamour and like take a company from zero to a couple of billion, raise an IPO, et cetera, right? But yeah. It's nice to yeah. hear what the the you so beautifully put rocks in the river are and how you've navigated them. What made you uh, how did you stick to the the path, right? Because the shiny objects are so damn tempting. It's like you go from it could be anything from like the stupid Instagram bot to like the, um, you know, going from podcast to YouTube to back to podcast. How did you like stay on the straight and narrow? Because I remembered how much pain I was in in 2015. And I knew that whatever pain I was experiencing, whatever rock I was experiencing, it was nothing 
compared to the pain that I experienced before. And I think that was really it. And, and, you know, I wish it was a different way. It's funny. I just, I just interviewed someone yesterday and I asked him this question. I was like, do you feel like on the path to mastery and on the path to, you know, having a dream life that, that it doesn't have to be so painful that we don't have to suffer. And he was like, no, and he's like, I've never known anyone that didn't suffer and didn't have to deal with a lot of pain to, to acquire their dream life. Yeah. And I think that's what we sign up for when we're here. So what kept me on the path was knowing that the pain of the past and the pain of the pain of what was lurking. I've heard someone say this once you're, your darkness is always in the corner doing push-ups. Like your darkness, it's always waiting for you. Like every moment your darkness is doing push-ups in the corner waiting for you. Like, uh-huh, come on, bitch, I got you. Like it's always waiting for you. So when I give my darkness fuel, well then, you know, then my darkness stands up and he's like, ha let's see what I can do to just destroy your life right now. It's always there. The darkness is always there. So being friends with the darkness is being playful with the darkness and saying, I know you're doing push-ups, but you ain't going to get me today. You ain't going to get me today, darkness, because I know you're there. Now, what helps us not get devoured by our own darkness or, or by our own, really, I guess you could say dark matter, dark energy, is the, the promise to keep going. It's the promise to keep going. That, that's what helps us. When people give up, when people say, I'm done, I don't care. Apathy is the biggest killer. Apathy and cynicism. If, if, if you are experiencing apathy and cynicism, I don't think there needs to be any rationale for that. I don't think you need to give that any kind of space or time. You have to immediately shift your state if you're feeling apathetic and if you're feeling cynicism, because there's nothing good that comes from those emotions. There's nothing good that comes from them. Only the only thing good that comes from them is the fact that they're there and then you choose not to experience them. Um, now, other emotions need, need work, right? If you're feeling anger, if you're feeling sadness, if you're feeling grief, those things need attention. Um, but apathy and cynicism, there's no place for those. And, and whether, whether you want to be an entrepreneur or not, or whether you just want to have a dream life, if you are experiencing apathy and if you're experiencing these, these dark energies of cynicism, um, immediately shift your state and, and don't worry about why they're there or who you got them from or any of that. Um, it's the same way that if you put your foot in boiling water, you would remove it, right? Yeah. Well, apathy and, and cynicism are boiling water for your dreams. All right. So I think you, you kind of gave me the, the bump set here. I'm hoping you can spike shifting you, you, your state. You've mentioned earlier breath work kind of came up in one of your ceremonies. Is that your number one tool for shifting state in this case, or what's, yeah. what's the go tool to toolbox for Josh Trent? And, you know, if we're going to go down the route of breath work, what kind of tips can we give people here? So it's interesting because in 2016, this is actually before the psychic break with ayahuasca. ayahuasca. I went to an event called Unbeatable Mind. It was from a guy named Mark Devine, who's a retired Navy SEAL. And he took yeah, us through. Yeah, he's got an incredible Kokoro event or something like yes. that. Yes. Right? Yeah. Not for everyone. <laughs> it's like 40 hours of no sleep and 
like wet, wet uniform getting beat. Like it's just intense, the most intense training in the world. Yeah. Um, so anyways, I, I go to his event and I'm doing the breath work, the warrior breathing at that time. And I just start crying and I'm like, why am I crying? What is the hell is going on here? Why am I crying? What is this? And I, it sparked so much healing in me and so much curiosity that I was, again, I was pulled to something, right? I was pulled to figure out why. And the more I started to learn about breath work and practice it, the more I realized that it could release trapped energy, truly release trapped energy, not in a spiritual woo-woo way, although it is spiritual and it is woo-woo, but it's freaking scientific. Yeah. Look at, look at any animal in nature. When an animal gets, like, for example, when a, when a gazelle gets chased by a cheetah and survives, the gazelle shakes its body and then it goes right back to eating grass. Why is that? It's because that is their stress response to somatically move energy through their system. So we are the same way. We are animal. We're half beast, half spirit. So when I do breath work properly, and, and there's a couple of ways which I'll describe, I have a somatic release. I literally shake off the trauma, the energy, the stored tension from the cheetah. And the cheetah could be your parents not loving you, your job being stressful, your wife yelling at you, all these things. That's the cheetah. We all experience the cheetah. And so when, when we do breathwork properly and, and where I start with breathwork is posture, I think the best way to learn breathwork is actually laying on your back with, you know, maybe take a five pound weight, put it on your belly button. You have to identify your breathing pattern first. So lay on your back, put a five pound weight or something on your stomach. And when you inhale through your nose, the weight should lift to the ceiling. When you exhale through your mouth, the weight and your belly button should move close to your spine. And if that's not there, then start there. That's the first place you start. And then once you get that great, then sit up or stand up and do your breathing, sitting or standing. I like sitting and your spine, uh, your hips, your spine and your head will all be stacked straight. Imagine there's a string pulling your head to the roof. And when you breathe, I want you, want you to really breathe like there's a balloon behind your belly button. And that balloon, when you inhale nose, the balloon fills. So inhale nose, fill the balloon. Exhale mouth, collapse the balloon, let all the air out. When you do that circular breathing, and we could just do three breaths right now. So if you put both hands on your stomach and take a, so inhale nose, fill the balloon. Exhale, collapse the balloon, belly to spine. So you would notice if you're here with us on YouTube or on the video that my shoulders stayed down. My shoulders didn't go up and down. So Dr. Belisa Branich taught me that, that you, you should never breathe vertically. You always breathe like an animal. You breathe horizontally. When you breathe vertically, you breathe like this. When you breathe horizontally, you breathe like this. And so just doing those 6, 10, 20 of what we just did, this conscious connected circular breaths, and actually the breaths that we would use would have no pauses whatsoever. So they would look and feel like this. That would be more of a conscious connected breath. Mm -hmm. Those are the building blocks for you to do the three phases of breath work. The three phases of breath work are number one is acute that stress type breathing. So it's stage presence. It's uh, triggered breathing. It's, um, maybe I'm 
having some issue with my work and I feel like I'm really angry. So there could be like some pranayama, some breath of fire breathing. Mm-hmm. So all these acute style breath work practices that we talk about in the breathe program, all these acute style practices are built to get you back in state of peace right away, mm-hmm. you know, within 60 to, to 60 seconds to three minutes. And the next phase of breathing is meditative. This is more proactive breath. So this is like in the morning when you wake for seven minutes or even 21 minutes, meditating with breath or just doing breath as a meditation. And then the last phase of breathing that people like to run to, but I really caution against this is catharsis breathing. This is your more Wim Hof and Stan Groff and holotropic breathing. Mm -hmm. So those three phases of breath, you know, we cover these phases in the program because I wanted to give people a practical space that was safe, first of all, because you can have very tremendous psychedelic experiences with breath work. I mean, I've, I've had experiences where I'm literally feeling and experiencing things that aren't even mine, just from breathing. And I'm crying and my body's shaking. And I, I see it with a lot of people as well. Um, the breath is, in my opinion, the, the most powerful anchor we could ever have when it comes to modulating our stress. So that's that's my go-to boomer is I will, you know, every day do some type of breath practice, whatever the day calls for, and and modulate from that place. All right. So Josh, I want to be cognizant of your time. I have a few final questions here. Yeah, we're good. Uh, So in terms of uh, life as an entrepreneur changes a little bit when you become a father, how has that changed for you? And what adjustments have you had to make in order to serve both, right? You can't just leave your business. You can't just leave your your baby. (laughs) Yeah. So how do you, how do you make that adjustment? I think when you love something enough that the discipline you have becomes your greatest freedom. If you really love something enough, and I'm not saying that it's always going to be easy. You know, someone might hear that and they might be like, Oh, he's just saying discipline, discipline equals freedom. No, I'm not. I mean, I kind of am. But I'm saying it with a different lens. I'm saying it with a different focus. If I love something enough, if I if I love my woman enough, if I love my child enough, if I love my business enough, if I love these things enough, well, then what would get in the way of me being as disciplined as I need to be to show up for all of those things in the most powerful way? I ask myself the question. I'm asking all of us that question. And it's the love that I have for myself. It's the love that I have. It's the love that we have for ourselves. Um, my mentor, Paul, said something really powerful. He's like, when you have a dream that's big enough, that you love enough, then you won't need a crisis. You won't need a crisis to remove you from your dream because you love your dream enough that the crisis won't pop up. And if it does, you deal with it accordingly. So the frame for this, for me, that is a work in progress, by the way, because I, I struggle with discipline because I'm human. <laughs> I don't know any human. I bet you even these, these, I bet you even, you know, Jocko Willink, who's like, you know, the discipline master, he, he might work out at 4 a.m. every day, but I bet you when it comes to discipline in his relational activities or discipline with his children, he's still a human. Yeah. So we all deal with that. And so what, what I'm saying is for me, how I manage this is um, number one, I use the calendar. I use the calendar for everything. I don't care if we're going to a friend's house, going to dinner, or it's this podcast. It's on my calendar. And if it's not on my calendar, 
it doesn't get done because my ancient brain is not capable of handling 200 appointments in a week. It's just not capable of it, nor do I want to force that onto it. So that is the number one thing for all of us, men and women. Use your calendar to the fullest degree for everything. If you have free time, schedule your free time in your calendar. Schedule everything. I went to a friend's house this morning just to have coffee. I scheduled it in my calendar and I sent him a calendar invite. <laughs> like, this is what we have to do, Boomer. So anyways, that's the first thing. And then secondly, be really mindful with your time and look at your time from the macro and, and look at your entire week and go, okay, what about my week doesn't cause me joy? What about my week is really uncomfortable And if it continues on a regular basis, how can I shift that? How can I outsource that? How can I hire for that? What can I do for that? So that's the the first piece. And then the second piece is what practice do I have for myself every single day where I'm consistently loving myself, not from a place of hubris or ego or narcissism, but like truly what practice do I have every single day? even if it's just some self-care or a journal entry or whatever, there's no perfect recipe for this. Every single day, can I love myself? Because I'll tell you, the child inside of you or me, the child inside of us will rebel. The child inside of us will rebel if we stop loving them. And the reason why businesses fail and relationships fail and things and dreams fail isn't because the person didn't work hard enough. I think actually probably the person worked too hard but they didn't listen to the child inside of them. They didn't listen to what was needing to be loved, what was needing to be tended to. And and that is actually my greatest work is is that type of work. And for me, it looks like therapy. Like we have couples therapy today and um, I have my journaling practice. I have my self-care, self-love practice. And to the degree that I'm staying disciplined to loving myself, because loving yourself is a discipline, then I can be disciplined too my schedule, my business, my family, and my responsibilities. So you can see it's an amalgam here, right? All layers, all all the feathers, they all congregate together. All right, Josh, there's something I've wanted to ask you because in preparation for this interview, of course, I watch you interview people, watch you tell your story. And uh, look, you're fucking articulate. How did you develop that? How did you develop that ability to just tell a story <laughs> or were you naturally kind of given the gift of gab? Uh, what, how did you go through the training that? That's a good question. I'm pausing and I took a breath cause I want to, you know, answer you truthfully and not just spout out something. I think it was a combination of being bullied. And when you're funny, you're not bullied as much. So I had to be quick-witted from an early age. And then from there, um, being a trainer really helped me because personal training and being a fitness trainer is not necessarily about how you can instruct your clients to have perf- perfect sagittal plane posture and maintain neutral spine. What's really powerful about being a trainer is connecting with your client and keeping the conversation going, being genuinely interested in the person that's paying you money. That's, that's what makes your business go. You can be a great scientific trainer, but if you don't have the gift of gab and the gift of heart connection, you won't make it. And then from there, I also can reflect upon at home, um, at about 13 years old, my dad kind of came back into my life, almost like flew back into my life. And he said, 
okay, uh, you know, you and your brother are going to come live with us. And it was both terrifying and exhilarating at the same time, because I was like, oh my God, you know, my father's love. I want my father's love. But what, what happened was, is it was an everyday war of having to defend myself, having to defend my position, having to defend my thoughts, having to defend my being. And so I got really good at articulating like a laser exactly what I was trying to say. Because one thing that, that my father would do is he would make fun of me or he would make fun of my brother or he would try to use his intellect to hurt our hearts. And so it, in a beautiful way, I'm grateful for that experience because it allowed me. I'm grateful for the bullying. I'm grateful for my father's attacks. I'm grateful for all these things because it, it allows me to communicate articulately, but not just from my mind, you know, not just from my intellect. So I can, I can connect dots quickly because my intellect has been sharpened to defend itself, but it comes from a heart place. So that's, that's a loop for me is to be mindful of, Hey, am I, am I, the last thing I'll do, because I know we both have to go is like, this is important for all of us. I'm going to share something that came up this past weekend in a men's retreat, which is fucking potent. And it is whenever I am in a moment of trigger. So if, if my woman does something that upsets me, if I lose 20 grand in Bitcoin, if I get cut off in traffic, whatever it is, can I, first of all, take one massive deep belly breath like this or six and ask myself, okay, what is my heart saying about this? My heart says, I'm really hurt. I'm really sad. I'm really upset because of this happening. What does my ego say? Because this is really the one that's trying to lead the show in that moment. The ego and the mind are the same. My ego says, fuck that person. Screw this person. They don't care about me. They don't love me. This person doesn't care. They only care about themselves, blah, blah, blah. Okay, what does my soul say? What does my soul say in that moment? My soul says, this is a moment where I gather wisdom. This is a moment where I give space for my heart and my ego to exist. And I don't pacify them. I don't pretend like I have it all figured out, but I find a meaning between the war of heart and ego. And I connect with God through my soul. And I say, all right, this is happening for my greater good. Well, why is it happening for my greater good? Well, let's check in. Let's, let's ask God. Let's ask the God in self. Let's ask the God outside of self. And let's say, this is happening because it is allowing me to become more resilient. Or it is allowing me to see where I have holes, where I need work. A good example might be what's going on in our world. You know, with the whole craziness, the insanity. My ego says these fucking idiots wearing masks. These fucking idiots. My ego is really strong. Yeah. These fucking idiots wearing masks. Pause. What is my heart saying? I am so sad that people believe that wearing a napkin on your face will protect you more than the immune system you're gifted with. That is the, that is the pain that I feel. That is the compassion I feel. My soul says we need this as a collective. Because as a collective, we have become a monster and we need to look in the mirror. And this is the only way it's going to happen. And then above all those things is my observer. My observer sees my connection to God through my soul, my heart, where I experience and feel emotions, and my ego, where I project onto others and make it others' problems. And if I can do that, then there can be more peace. There can be more understanding. 
And so that is my most recent practice that has just been really coming online is when I'm in that space, uh, ask myself those three things. And actually, I've even explained it to my partner. You know, if we have a friction moment, I'll share with her. Deep breath, babe. My heart's feeling right now. My soul is experiencing right now. My ego is experiencing right now. And from that conversation, some wisdom happens. Some good happens. So that's how I maintain it all. Very, very cool. All right, Josh. What is the future of Wellness Force and the name change? And what does the future of that look like? But also, where can people find out more about you? The podcast is going to die. And it's going to die because it's going to be rebirthed. Okay. <laughs> nice setup <laughs> so I'm letting, there, man. <laughs> I'm letting go. <laughs> I'm letting go of this, mm-hmm. which is wellness force. And I'm, I'm birthing wellness wisdom. And there'll be a new authentic energy on the show that'll be, you know, just an evolution of me and a celebration of all of us on this path of, of really what we're all wanting is wisdom. We all want wisdom. So that's the first thing. And then the second thing that I'm really excited about is bringing more of a breathwork approach to our community, which is the the global community we have. And then also growing the breathwork.io program because this Breathe Breath and Wellness program is a really safe place for people. And so when people hear and experience podcast interviews and like, okay, what do I do? Well, yes, read the books. Yes, listen to, you know, listen to Boomer's TED Talk, like do all these things. But at the same time, do a practice for yourself, you know, do breathing. So that's where everyone can find that program at breathwork.io. Um, it's the Breathe Breath and Wellness program. And it's a, th- it's a three-week program. I really am excited about growing that. And also there's just more growth for me. There, there's more expansion for me. There's more of looking at my ugliness. There's more of looking at the ways that my ego takes control and being open and honest about that. So so that light pours on it. And when light pours on my ego, then he gets to relax because he just wants to relax anyways. I'm not here to, to defeat my ego. I'm here to let my ego relax. Um, so that's what's most exciting to me, man. Beautiful. Josh, thank you for taking the time, my friend. This has uh, been an absolutely lovely experience with you covering so many different things. Uh, I know we're going to have a few conversations, hopefully in the same place in the near future. But I would love that. Thanks for your questions. Thanks for having me. All right. To all the superhumans listening out there, have an absolutely epic day. This has been another amazing interview. Thank you, Josh. Thank you. In case you couldn't tell by one of my questions at the end, well, I'm quite enamored with how Josh is such a great storyteller and how he communicates and resonates with people. And so I hope you enjoyed this conversation. I hope it's not the last with Josh. And if you are interested in the show notes and what we get into, or even uh, Josh's breathwork program, you can head on over to decodingsuperhuman.com slash Josh. Thank you guys so much for your attention. If you enjoyed this podcast, head on over to Apple Podcasts and leave a five-star review. Every one of those reviews just brings, oh, such a sweet smile to my face. If you're on YouTube, click subscribe. And if you want access to the show notes, advanced notice of guests, as well as the ability to ask questions to these guests, 
head on over to decodingsuperhuman.com and join the email list. Finally, this show does not provide any sort of medical advice. I'm not a doctor. I don't pretend to be a doctor. And if you want a physician or medical advice, it's probably best you go speak to a doctor. This is really just sharing information. And I hope you enjoy the sharing of that information. Thank you so much for your attention and have an absolutely excellent day.